time. It's time. So get your popcorn ready. It will be political. Political. It will be biblical. Biblical. We must stay vigilant. We must remain watchful. So sit back and put your feet up because you're about to learn to discern the truth. Welcome to the Watchmen. What's up, everybody, and welcome back to the Watchmen Podcast. My name is Casey. So good to be back with you guys today. Today is March 20th, 2023. We are really going fast through this year. It's already almost through three months. Uh, Hard to believe, but um, I have a very, very, very special guest with me today. Um, I know you, my listeners will love her, and uh, she's just so wonderful, and we'll get into things. But before we get into that, I just want to remind everybody in the description box below will be all the information from the Watchmen podcast where you can follow, um, where you can go to support, as well as please click the like button and share and follow um, the channel so we can get the word out there for others. Um, and also, my um, guest is Marion today, and I want you to know that her information will also be in the description box below where you can go to support her and follow her as well. So with that, I just want to go ahead and introduce you guys to Marion. Marion, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. Thank you. It's so good to have you on, Marion. Um, before we get going yeah. into some questions and talk about your book that you have today, because that's our point here, uh, I just want you to go ahead and could you give us a little information, a little background on who you are and where you're from and, and what you're doing? Yeah, um, I'm from the Netherlands and um, I'm a writer, a poet, uh, a photographer, um, translator and political networker. Wonderful. So, Marion, you said you're from the Netherlands. Um, I know we know from, I know you're friends with uh, Jesse, and I know you, have, she does a lot of work uh, with you guys in the Netherlands. Uh, was there anything you could tell us as far as any child sex trafficking that's going on in the Netherlands or any SRA um, abuse that's going on there? Um, yes. Well, the Netherlands is a horrible country if it comes to that subject. Um if you look at the um, child abuse content on the internet worldwide, then 77% of um, that is hosted in the Netherlands and facilitated in the Netherlands. Um, The Netherlands is a huge trafficking country. And um, yeah, things are not looking good at the moment. Um, The justice system is not, working with the survivors, um, the victims, the families of uh, the victims. And um, many, many of the victims are feeling, well, kind of like a fugitive without being guilty of a crime. Wow. That's that's an incredible thing. And, and, you know, is there any, so it's, you're saying that this, the, percentage is higher there than even in the Ukraine and some of these other countries that we see uh, where there's child sex trafficking, correct? Yes, that's correct. Wow. And and could you tell us a little bit about, I know this isn't um, about child sex trafficking, but could you tell everybody a little bit about what it was like there during COVID-19 and the restrictions that they placed on you guys? Because here in the U.S., people don't understand what happened worldwide and how much worse it was for a lot of you guys than it was for us here in the U.S., Yeah, um, you have to think of the fact that the Netherlands is um, one federal state. Um, The U.S. has 50-something states. um, 50, yes. 
yeah, we are um, one state, which means that um, many things are arranged federally. Um, we had restrictions. Um, they were horrible. And yeah, what can I say about it? Yeah, we had to mask. Um, yes, we were, um, yeah, we were forbidden to go into places if we didn't mask or if we didn't get vaccinated. Um, wow. I was not vaccinated um, because I don't believe in it, mm -hmm. but also because um, I've got some health problems. Um, I've got rheumatism in various forms like fibromyalgia, um, arthrosis, etc. And those are autoimmune diseases. I didn't want to have an autoimmune reaction to something that was so questionable. Mm -hmm. um, my mother also was not fully vaccinated. And I have seen it happen that we were on the road from one side to the country to the other side of the country. And um, halfway, we really, really needed to make a pit stop for ourselves. And we were blatantly refused to even go to a toilet of a red restaurant. And they just sent us on our way again. And then to think of the fact that my mother is an elderly woman, you know, um, and, and, and people who are um, handicapped or anybody unvaccinated has had a long time that you just could not go away from home very far because there was nowhere you were even allowed to go to a toilet, um, let alone enter a place to have a drink or rest with a roof above your head. Um, so it has been horrible and it is still um, scary because they are still trying to make sure that the law that um, makes this all possible again in the future is implemented no matter how far we have left COVID behind. So, Wow. So you're saying that there's still very, very heavily restrictions, even though it's gone. Yeah, they're hidden. They're in the refrigerator, but we never can know what will happen, what they will use. And maybe they will use it in a different way, maybe for climate lockdowns. And we have had a, a curfew. Can you believe it? We've had curfews wow. for months and months and months um, on top of the lockdowns. And the whole thing is, is that the Netherlands is together with Canada. It, it's a pilot country for these kind of atrocities they're looking at our country and see what the people do in reaction and how much, how far they can go. That is the problem of the Netherlands. Wow. And that's, that's something that I'm glad you mentioned that um, about the Netherlands being a pilot country along with Canada. So people need yeah. to understand and to realize the severity and the seriousness of what they tried and what they were trying to do, which I believe was a kind of like a, um, uh, what do you call it? Dress rehearsal for what they have to come even more so uh, later on. Yeah. And so that's something sure. that, that people need to understand. And I tell everybody this in the U S read your bill of rights, read the constitution, understand your rights as a, 
U.S. citizen because I see so many. I saw so many people, and Marion, you may have seen it much worse over there. But I saw so many people, you know, scared to stand up. That you know, I don't want to put a mask on. I'm not getting vaccinated because they were afraid. They didn't know what their what their rights were as as a citizen of our country. So, um, yeah. With that, Marion. So we're have I have you on today because you just you wrote a book. You didn't just write it. I guess you wrote it quite so many years ago. And um, here's the book for everybody. It's called The Rootless. Um, I highly recommend it. I'm, I'm not through the whole thing yet, but I am through a, you know, probably about a quarter of the book. Um, I got to a place a couple days ago where I couldn't put it down all of a sudden. Um, and unfortunately I just had an accident recently, so I haven't been able to do much but rest, but I'm getting back. I'm, I'm, I'm a lot better, but, um, Marion, if you would just go ahead, could you tell us how this book came about and what even caused you to start writing it? Yes. Um, in order to tell about that i need to go back quite some years um the dutch the original version came out in dutch in the year 2011 and um before that year um a few things happened in my life i um was having trouble with my um muscles ligaments um bones already in that time and um having a lot of pain and that was not a good kind of position to be in if you were a born again christian in a pentecostal church that was going a bit overboard <laughs> uh i was in a pentecostal church and um every church individually is different but the place that i was in was a place where people were walking around um coming at you um asking you why you weren't healed yet <laughs> um, asking you whether you had enough faith and those kind of things and i um, gradually started to feel more and more unsafe and unhappy in that place so um yeah um i didn't know what to do about it I wanted to follow the Lord and I thought that staying in the in a church was the best thing to do. And um, but the problems didn't go away. And in that time, um, I don't know exactly um, which year that was, but at a certain point on television, I saw um, a movie. The name of the movie was Horrible queen of the damned and it is um, a movie that was made um, partially according to books of Anne Rice um, the vampire chronicles and um, in that movie um, there was this vampire called Lestat and he woke up after um, a few hundred years of sleeping and he felt very lonely and he didn't like life the way it was and so he decided to become a rock star to be among the people to work in the night time which is great for vampires and in a strange way to provoke other vampires who would not like him to be that public because he would also tell everybody that he was this mythical vampire. 
Um, anyway, I saw that on TV and something happened to me when I saw that movie. It felt like some strange kind of obsession. I bought the DVD of that movie, started to watch it that week over and over and over again. I bought the soundtrack on uh, CD, listened to that time after time after time, all day long, day after day. And I started to ask myself, why in the world am I so obsessed with this? It was really striking me. And I um, started to analyze, like, what is going on? Couldn't find out what was going on. So um, one day, yet again, in the morning, I was listening to the soundtrack. And while I was doing that, I was doing some dishes in my kitchen. And one of the songs sung by Vampire Lestat, the rock star, was a song in which he would sing, why is everything so fucking hard for me? And I would like not only sing along with him, but grunt along with him. And suddenly it all dawned on me and I broke down crying because I realized that there were elements in that story about this vampire that were somewhat similar with me being chronically ill. And I realized that I had not been accepted the way I was in an environment of a church that was a big part of my daily life back then. And that I couldn't get to accept myself. And then somehow while I was crying in that kitchen with that song on the background, I suddenly felt such comfort coming over me as if there was somebody standing right behind me and putting his arm around my shoulder and telling me gently, I accept you exactly the way you are, sick or not sick chronically ill or not chronically ill, imperfect or not imperfect. I accept you exactly the way you are. You are no accident. And I realized that that was the Lord speaking to me. And yeah, so I did two things after that. I stopped watching that movie because I didn't need it anymore. Um, I realized that this vampire in his loneliness was like me, um, sitting at home, not able to work due to way too much pain 24-7. He was not able to have a normal daytime job. Um, I had a special diet due to blood sugar problems. He had a special diet, a bit different than me, but anyway. and um those kind of things really made me realize ah that was why i was so obsessed and it might have been the lord using it to get me to that point of understanding that the lord is the one who is accepting me fully for the full hundred percent so then there is the book, of course, the question about how did the book come about, uh, come about and what does this have to do with the book? 
Well, um, in those same time, uh, days, I was busy creating an art book. As a photographer, I had made wonderful art pictures, artistic pictures, I thought, and I decided to bundle it in a book. And it had come out already as well. And after that art book came out, I was not ready for taking pictures. So the creation of artistic pictures continued and it became a pile that was so big that I could easily make a second art book. So I had started to think about that art book, like what would it be like? Do I need quotes of interesting people in history? Do I need to create poetry for it? Um, might I embark upon a correspondence between myself and a philosophically interesting person? I didn't know. And I somehow never got to that solution. I didn't know how to compile that book. And that Christmas on a vacation together with a friend, we went to um, a cinema watched a movie and that was the movie Twilight and after that movie I knew exactly how I was never going to write <laughs> about vampires <laughs> and then I decided okay I'm gonna make a book um, just write an essay and combine that with the pictures I have and for an essay I thought I need some kind of like basic question that would be the basis of the whole story and that basic question i thought would be what if i would suddenly have an encounter with a real mythical vampire the ones we know out of movies everything he does coming with it and what if that vampire would allow me to ask him questions about life, death, um, sin, guilt, happiness, depression, maybe suicide, um, all kinds of questions? What would that answer? Uh, would the answers of that vampire be? And so I decided to start writing and. To write, I needed something juicy. I got out of my own life, an anecdote from my own life. And that became the first chapter of the book. Wow. And so continuing to write and the essay became a bit too big to be an essay. And then it turned into a novel. Wow. So that's incredible. And you, you kind of already got into this, but the second question that I had was, um, what do you mean by the, by the phrase, the rootless? And it's a thought as a thought provoking crossover between fact fiction and, and magical realism. Yeah. The rootless, um, the original title of the book is ontworteling, which means as much as uprooting or unearthing, like pull something out of the ground by the roots. Now, 
Uprooting is not a nice name for a book, I thought. And um, after some thinking, I decided to, it to be the rootless, those without roots. And the quirky side to it is that ruthless almost sounds the same. Right. So, yeah. And, and then, yeah, um, on the cover text of my book i have described the book as a crossover between fact fiction and um, magical realism the fact fiction side of it is um because i have a lot of real time um sorry real life um stories in my novel as i said the first chapter is practically for the full hundred percent what happened to me one time on my way back from a vacation on Iceland. So and 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 yeah um it's nice to know that many people are wondering while reading the book which of the scenes in the book are yeah, factional, and which ones are fictional. Um, but I'll get to that later. But anyway, so there's like many um, real events. And um, yeah, the, the, the backdrop of the book is also very realistic. Uh, I'm sticking to the real world, the world that we know in all its details. And then if I'm coming to um, those details, the description of locations, of history, of possible news facts coming by, etc. I stuck to them as realistically as possible and as detailed as possible. And using them as a backdrop um, and then putting one impossible element to that realistic backdrop that is mag magical realism. And then it is to the reader to see what happens with the clash between possible and impossible, between, between real and totally unreal. And through that, I can tell many things and convey many messages. That's, that's incredible, Marion. Uh, just off topic for a second. Now, you said in the beginning of the first uh, chapter, you had gone on vacation to Iceland. Iceland is yeah. a place that I've always my whole life wanted to visit. <laughs> I just wondered, is it as beautiful as they say it is? It's better. Wow. <laughs> it is like completely, totally magical. It is like vast. It is so incredibly, yeah. Um, it is like nothing you've ever seen before because that place is a place where God's creation is still happening. Wow. Um, the ground is tearing up due to a so many um, either volcano exploding or earthquake. Earthquakes are happening very often there. And um, like things constantly are changing in that land. And of course, like there's not many trees because centuries ago, 
many of the trees that were on that island have been um, cut down for heating for the people wow. who live there. Right, right, right. So it is really, if I'm talking about vast, then it, yeah, then it's, I mean vast. It's not really like big city. It's mostly like more like countryside and houses are here and there. They're not all jammed together, correct? Like cities and as far as cities and things. Well, um, you, there are cities, but the cities um, in general are smaller than what we understand as big cities. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not totally sure how many people are living in Reykjavik, the Reykjavik, capital yeah. at this mm-hmm. moment. Mm-hmm. I'm guessing it might be, but I'm so sorry if I'm wrong about it, but it might be around 350,000 um, at the moment. Wow. And um, that is the biggest city in the entire country. Right. And the thing is, is with um, Iceland is that, yes, there are um, farms scattered around the country. And the um, distance between those uh, farms are, yeah, there are big distances between them. And an interesting little thing about that is that years ago when I was there, I heard this little story of... (laughs) There are two things that are very much um, happening in the rural uh, rural areas in Iceland. One is is that they're very active in their village life. You know, they organize a whole lot of things because otherwise there's not a lot to see or that's happening around you. Besides that, there has been a time, and I'm not sure if that's still the case, but that they, the people living there were so much in search of um, impulses from the outside that they would actually tap their neighbor's um, phones and listen in on <laughs> conversations and stuff. Right. But there's, wow. yeah, you know, but uh, this is just some fun facts. Right, um, right, right. Yeah. Okay, but okay but you make me want to go there even more now that you tell me all that. Because it's just always yeah. been a place that was on one of my bucket list places to go. And I've been to the Netherlands and I was only in Amsterdam, but, and it is mm-hmm. beautiful beyond. It was around Christmas time. And yeah. I love the small, tiny streets and the stone, you know, kind of like your background there is how it looks. And, and at Christmas time, it's just so beautiful and I highly recommend it. And of course the bicycle um, thing, everybody knows about the bicycles in Amsterdam. They're everywhere. It's the truth. I mean, everywhere you go, you hear somebody ringing their bell about to run you over if you're not careful, but it was just something I got to go on a layover there for about 10 hours and I was able to go and then come back to the airport same day. So that's another beautiful place um, as well. Now, getting back to the book, Marion, mm-hmm. you know, I want to do a comparison, you know, because the rootless and the Da Vinci code, you know, the setting of the rootless looks a lot like the Da Vinci, da Vinci code with old European cities, castles, churches, and history. So if you could do a little comparison on that. Yeah, um, the backdrop looks the same. Um, yeah. <laughs> still, the, the approach of the writers is totally different. Um, Dan Brown wrote his book um, using um, existing um, places, locations, um, history facts, etc. But he changed them. He altered them partially. Um, for instance, there was this um, angry, scary monk um, who would murder people left and right in the Da Vinci Code's first um, episode. And um, they 
in the book, you can read that he is part of the organization Opus Dei, which is not possible in real life because Opus Dei has no lay people in it. Or no, what I'm saying, no clergy in it. Mm -hmm. It's only for lay people. Mm -hmm. So, um, but also um, like the Westminster Abbey, they mention and yeah, um, people go with, at, in the beginning when the book came out, all those people would take the book, go on a trip to either um, London or Rome or other places that were mentioned in the Da Vinci Code, um, only to find out that when they would go to the Westminster Abbey and they would look for that specific thing that was described in it, that it was either at a totally different location or it was not there, it didn't exist. So things were made up and presented as history facts or real facts. And I am doing practically the opposite. I'm describing history. I'm describing locations, um, also science, um, for the full 100% accurately. And then I am inserting the story into that. I'm weaving my story right through it. Um, and I'm doing that because, first of all, I'm a history buff and uh, a knowledge buff, uh, research um, freak. So I like to get go really far in um, finding out what is there to find. But second, I found out quickly that approaching it in this way so to keep the backdrop the description of a castle for instance um, totally accurate and then inserting somebody who is really mysterious or strange or a story that goes into a direction that you wouldn't expect that crawls much deeper under the skin of people mm-hmm. so yeah and you mentioned research. Um, why is research such a big thing in your book and why is it mentioned so much? Yeah, um, there's so much to that. Um, the thing is, um, I am trying to show people how reality can be twisted. Mm-hmm. Um And the main character in the book does a lot of research because she gets confronted with somebody who has claims about himself that are pretty outrageous. So she is mistrusting. So she's like, yeah, yeah, you can say this, but uh, hey, you know, (laughs) I'm going to debunk that because you cannot, you couldn't know that you're making this up or whatever. Anyway, so, um, but if you think of um, the way information has been used through the ages, um, especially the last couple of uh, decennia in the world, you can see that you can twist it for very specific purposes. Um, Communistic Russia in the time of Khrushchev, for instance, Mm -hmm. you would see group pictures and then later you would discover that same group picture and there is one person missing. 
in their own way, they back then they were already doing photoshopping and they were photoshopping people away. And um, yeah, um, by chance, yesterday I was watching television, Dutch television, and there was this uh, documentary about Central Asian countries like Uzbekistan, Kyrgyzstan, um, former um, Soviet Union um, countries, but also countries that have been part of China or are still part of China. And um, the interviewers have been um, interviewing people who were a victim of those regimes back in the day. And I would hear stories of also group pictures and um, people were forbidden by China to have the faces of certain dissidents in those pictures. So they were forced to scratch away single-handedly the faces of certain people in the pictures they owned in, and had in their house. And if the police would come and discover that there was a picture in the house with one in face intact of one of those dissidents, then that person would be arrested and taken to um, a camp. And that was it. So uh, th those kind of things um, were really, yeah, uh, strange so anyway what i have done with it is that um i would look at history facts that concerned my book um i can give one example um there is um, an old villa a beautiful old building in prague and um that villa um yeah you know has a history and it is described um, one of the fun facts about it is that composer Mozart stayed there a few times and finished um, the last part of his opera Don Giovanni. So it became a famous house. It has been a Mozart museum for a while even. And um, so I had decided that the person in my book, the main character, back in the day when it was built in the year 1700 that he was the architect building uh, making that building of course that's not true mm -hmm. um but how did i do that i discovered while i was doing research on that house that it is not known who is the builder the arch architect so there I inserted my person, you know? Wow. And, and um, then on top of that, I used the issue of, wait a sec, the other main char character in the book, getting to know this person is wondering why is he talking about history in this way? Why is he telling that he is... Um, was that architect all the way back in 1700 that cannot be true it must be another architect let me research that so she googles <laughs> uh in her own way and then she finds the phrase in on some wikipedia or whatever kind of page that it is not known who is the builder of that house wow which 
gives her the creeps mm -hmm. and which helps my story. But the, the whole thing about, yeah, uh, about research, the, the thing is nowadays is that there is an information war going on and everybody knows that. And, 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 and I wanted to get into that, Miriam, because yeah. I wanted to ask you as a, as a, what I would consider a professional researcher and you've been mm -hmm. doing it for so long. And I know um, I mentioned to you about Janet Ozenbard, who's also a professional researcher. She's from the Netherlands as well. What do mm -hmm. we do as just to tell anybody here that would be listening today, you know, when we research most things, the basic, just a something basic as in did president Trump say this, did so-and-so you go to the fact, the fact checkers are all, discreditors so you know that you go to the fact checkers and the fact yeah. checkers like is there something that we can do to dig deeper to find more information that you have any tips on that you know uh, that's a hard one um, <laughs> it is i know yeah. <laughs> i never knew um for years to begin with that i was loving research i had to find out about that that I was like that um, and the person who um, pointed me to that without words was my own father and my father was a history buff my father has written um, many books about the history of the village that he was born in um, and he became kind of a local celebrity with that and once when he was interviewed in a newspaper, he told about himself that he was a chaotic researcher. He would um, start searching for something, looking for an answer to a question. And then while he would look for that answer, he would stumble upon other things on his way to that answer. And he would find out most wonderful little things that he could also use for his uh, purpose. And um, I think that I'm the same kind of researcher. I'm just starting to walk and, and, and I'm seeing things, discovering things, laying links and telling myself, hey, wait a sec, I never expected to find this little thing, but I could put that right there in this story or insert it right there in that other chapter. And what I'm trying to say with that is that everybody has his or her own character, but also his or her own way of researching. So it's hard to give a tip, like how so, to do it. But, but what but I basically dig deeper is basically what you're saying, because the yes. stuff on the surface is, is surface level. You know, you got to dig deeper and, and go and, and try to research, hard, you know, in your own way, like you're saying. And, and we have to use discernment from the Holy Spirit as well. Very true. Discernment of the Holy Spirit is, is key in this all. But also um, compare the different things that have been written about one specific subject. Compare them. Look at the usage of language even. Um, you can see sometimes that, um, yeah, people who are up to no good and who are trying to either attack somebody else or who are trying to keep a secret, um, you can see it in their language, you know, and you can see the same usage of language among 
various people with the same kind of purpose. Okay. Like easy thing, if you look at the COVID time, you would have various journalists who would also be active on Twitter and they would use, no, not COVID. Let me, let me go to um, the subject religion. Um, there have been many discussions between Christians and anti-theists um, who would talk about whether or not it is nonsense to believe in a God and in a Bible. And what you would see in those discussions is that the same kind of wording would be used time after time after time, fairy tale book for the Bible. And big sky daddy instead of God. Right. And you can see that too when you are doing research and, and, and when you're trying to find out how true a certain story is. And um, also, um, where is this story pushed? Where is this information pushed? Is it actually promoted? Or is it being silenced those are questions that can help yeah and and just to you know you kind of went into this a little bit but just a little bit more on as an author you know what links have you gone to while doing research for your book um a lot <laughs> yeah uh, um i could say that i have traveled for my book and to put it that in that exact way is not totally fair because officially I would go on a vacation. But in reality, I never really went on a vacation because I always ended up doing research and working and location scouting when I would be in the places that I traveled. Um, places that I've gone to, for instance, uh, in Paris, um, I have been taken um, on a tour in the deserted limestone caverns or um, yeah, quarries underground underneath the city of Paris. There is a, a labyrinth of um, deserted limestone quarries of about 160 miles, I wow. think. And I was underground with a historian, a local historian who was a total expert in everything underground. And we wandered that labyrinth for 11 long hours. And he told me all about little things that you would find on the walls, carved into the walls, about history. Um, he showed me a deserted bunker that was used by the Germans in the Second World War. But he would also show me... Um, um, remains of the French Revolution even and, and those things are wonderful but I've also been to London and I contacted um, an architect a restoration architect and um, he took me um, onto the scaffolds around the Westminster Abbey um, there is this part of the abbey that is called the chapter house, and that was in um, the process of being restored around 2010. And he took me on this tour 
And he had me meet with uh, the stone carvers, the stonemasons, um, the, the, the project leaders, etc. And I would get the most wonderful information that nobody else would hear. And so what do you do after a day like that on those scaffolds? You actually just simply have an entire chapter ready to be written. You know, I simply could copy it. And um, there you go back to the fact fiction element, you know, the fact element. Wow. Yeah, and so many other places like Prague. Um, I've been in the Netherlands. I've been to um, a hospital and I was um, guided around in the blood transfusion laboratory. Um, and yeah, um, I've talked to the blood bank. Um, I have um, been looking at the traces of the um, life cycle of donated blood. I wanted to know what happened to blood as from the moment that somebody donates it up to the moment that it is being destroyed as medical waste. So I've been to some kind of um, yeah, what you call it, a factory that had a huge, horrible, very, very hot oven the size of a mammoth. Wow. And uh, I would look into that fire and see where medical waste is being burned. So all those kinds of things um, and many more. <laughs> so. Yeah, which is even... which is incredible. My question to you is: you mentioned a second ago about the stonemasons, you know, and I had asked you this about um, and maybe you want to tell other readers that had this same thought. Whenever I think it's in chapter five or so, when the uh, vampire it says something about being a uh, what I said he was a Freemason, but you corrected me on that. And if you want to go into a little bit about that, that's saying that he wasn't he wasn't a Freemason, but he was a was it a guild mason? Um, yes. Um there is a misconception about masonry and freemasonry masonry is a profession of course like there are stonemasons who are an expert in um, like stone carving in um creating cement or uh to 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 restore um old historical buildings and all those things and um then there is the freemasons lodges um some would call it a cult, others call it a brotherhood. Two different things. And what I have mentioned in my book, that the main character in the book, who claims to be a vampire, um, used to be an architect and um, also part of the Masons Guild. Um, back in the day, when those guilds still existed, um, architects would be welcomed in a guild of stonemasons because it would be lucrative for all the parties involved. Um, they would be able to exchange um, knowledge about the profession and they would help each other um, getting jobs and, and, and having, you know, they, they would use each other's contacts. And, um, but it was not a ritual thing. It was a group of people with the same profession. And um, yes, he was, um, he had left that guild at a certain point, 
And yes, he was erased from the records there, but he has never been a Freemason. And the thing with Freemasonry is is that even within Freemasonry, at least the lower um, grades, Freemasons don't know how Freemasonry actually came about. They know that the first um, Grand Lodge um, was um, founded in the year 1717 in London. And that Grand Lodge is still there. But it could as well be something that grew out of the Masons Guild. Or it could have grown out of something else. So even within Freemasonry, the opinions differ if it comes to that subject. Okay. So Marianne, just go ahead and tell us what is this book actually all about? Um, yeah, to tell that, um, I might probably simply um, read the cover text of the book because I think that explains a lot about it. Okay. So here it goes. Um, when the burden of ancient secrets become too much to bear, the hunger for intimacy will outweigh what one has been craving since forever. Two strangers meet in a chat room. Rona is an inquisitive photographer with a penchant for solving mysteries. Aeolus claims to live a dangerous dual life and demands absolute anonymity. Despite the skeletons that he keeps in his closet, Aeolus lures Rona into an enchanting question and answer game that soon goes further than they could have ever comprehended. What though if the longing for more emerges? How sustainable is a heart-to-heart contact when names and faces must remain shrouded? And why does Aeolus cling so rigidly to the alter ego of a mythical vampire? These questions remain unanswered until a sick twist of fate drives the two away from the safe spot behind their computers. Disregard of the code of silence comes with ominous implications. Can Aeolus defy his roots while all the odds are against him? Is the writing on the wall really set in stone? Wow. So, so Marion, in the description of your book, you, uh, you mentioned uh, about vampires. And so I was just wondering what that is all about. Well, um, vampires are to me a wonderful vehicle to talk about um, things that matter in life. Um, as we all know, uh, mythical vampires um, live much longer than um, human beings. Uh, what do they do with boredom? What do they do with um, crisis in the world and in world news that keep on repeating history that keeps on repeating itself? Um, 
what do they do with all the knowledge they gather um, after all those ages? Um, how do they look at people who are not as far in their development as human beings, uh, as, as them? And, um, you know, and there's many more things, like if you have a bad habit, if you have a characteristic that is not very flattering, what are you going to do with it if you just keep on living and living and living? Hmm. You know, and um, there are so many other things like the salvation of Jesus Christ. Um, how um, does that work in the mind of somebody who just keeps on living and living and living and doesn't die uh, and, and basically is sitting there in an eternal waiting room. Mm. And so, um, yeah, I thought that was very intriguing. It was the starting point for uh, me to start writing this book. And um, it developed into something that, yeah, became more interesting than I ever actually comprehended. Um, because you can also um, draw this parallel um, to people in our normal world, um, just normal mortal people who have a terrible secret. How do they work with that in daily life? How do they move among people who live ordinary lives without those complications? And, and there you are back at the questions that the vampire has. So, yeah, and, and um, it really is something that I um, believe uh, is, yeah, opening up questions that you can talk about for long hours. Yeah, I totally agree with that, Marianne. Would you be willing to talk to us a little bit about, I know you had mentioned what you know about how the Lord came behind you, but would you talk a little bit about your faith in the Lord? Uh, yeah. Um, what can I say about that? Um, Jesus is my savior. And he is providing in so many things um, that I cannot even start to remember what he has done in my life you know he has performed miracles um he has um miraculously um helped my father years ago when he was brought to a hospital with an ambulance one day and when they found out that his um carotid artery around his heart was totally blocked and he was in mortal danger. But what the Lord did within a few days until the um, examination um, happened, he caused a new artery, a perfect bypass to grow around that blocked artery. And it led the blood perfectly around the heart again. Wow. Um, so 
but the Lord is not only about healing. He is about protecting. He is about giving meaning in life. He is about, um, above all, faithfulness. Um, he has been the one who has never been too freaked out about my stupidness in life, you know. And we all carry relate to stupidness, you know. We all make mistakes, and I've been, I have made mistakes myself, and I've been ashamed of myself so many times in major ways, in minor ways, and he was the only one who never got scared away, and he would never turn his head away from me, and um, he is not shocked, and... Um, yeah, he he will always be there if I turn back after having walked away from him. And I could have walked a hundred or a thousand or a million steps away from him. But when I turn around to look for him, he will be only one step away from me because he has been with me all that time. And, and I had to learn that the hard way sometimes. And... Um, but it made me grow into trusting him. And, and I believe that that is a real wonderful thing because like if you learn to trust him and, and if you learn to look back at your own life and see what he has done in your life before, that takes courage. If it takes courage to use that as the evidence of the fact that he will also not leave you now. And that's one of the biggest things I love about learning from him. And you know, Mary, and it reminds me too of where the Bible says that it's the goodness of God that brings man to repentance. And you know, we as Christians get so so caught up sometimes in wanting to hit somebody over the head when they do wrong. And that's not a character trait of God. And it's, it is his goodness. And, you know, I read a book yeah. one time about um, near-death experiences, and it was a guy who was really seeking to know if there really was a God. Uh, and so he went and found these people that were clinically proven to be dead for a time. And he began to ask them questions. And I, I mean, it's just time and again throughout the book where each of them would say, when they saw Jesus, he, he, he looked at them and he, they said, it was as though it'd be like you standing there naked. You got nothing to hide. I mean, he saw everything within them and, and in his love was so overpowering because he could care. Like you just said, he didn't care about any of that stuff because he's looking at your spirit, man. And so mm -hmm. that's, that's an encouraging thing because most people's guilt and yeah. shame keep them from God. And that's what exactly. sin does to us. That's what the devil does. And he comes in, he gets in you, gets in your ear and starts asking you things like, what are you going to do now? What are you going to do now? You messed up. What are you going to do now? And just on and on to harass you. And, and I just encourage everybody out there, you know, get before the Lord, you know, ask him for forgiveness. He's there and he will forgive you. And I, and it'll be, and the Bible says it's as, as, as far as the left is from the right. It says he forgets it. It doesn't say that he, you know, it's just, it's still there, but you know, it says he, the Bible, this Bible says God forgets it as though it was never ever ever yeah. there yeah well so, that is actually reminding me of the fact that um, i've written about this specific subject um, in my book um the vampire in my book um is also questioning like okay here i am 
and I know that I will sin up until eternity, maybe, I don't know. Um, I have this proneness to um, keep on sinning, you know, because I have to um, find blood to survive. So how do I do that? And um, he ends up visiting a tiny little congregation of underground culture people who are not feeling at home and safe in normal churches. And um, the leader of this, um, this, this little group, um, she is uh, called Ashley in my book. In real life, when I talked to her once, um, she said some legendary words that probably encompass this all. Um, when somebody mentioned something about a certain form of sinning um, in her life, reaction of Ashley was, well, that's not something that God cannot handle. <laughs> that's exactly right. That's yes. good. That's exactly right. <clears throat> yeah. So with that, Marion, <clears throat> excuse me, um, is there anything else that you want to leave our listeners with before we close here? Um, yeah. Um, yeah, I, I really want to. Um, I want people, I hope that people will be able to find out that those words that I said, those words of Ashley, that is not something God cannot handle. That these words are extremely real and very hands-on because um, he can handle it all. And it doesn't matter how much somebody has sinned. Um, it doesn't matter what has been told to this person about sin and um, not and, 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 and this this so-called threshold of like okay there is a point when you have sinned too much no you always always will end up with those words this is not something that god cannot handle he amen. can handle it amen and he will always forgive if you come to him in prayer and say that you are sorry for what you have done. That's right. His arms are always open, no matter what is told about him. So. That's good. That's exactly right. So with that, folks, please go out and support. You can, one of the best ways you can support Marion is go on Amazon, buy her book. I will have the direct link in the description box below for that. <clears throat> but, um, you know, and you heard her story. I, I believe it's a great story that needs to be told, you know, share this video anywhere you can. And, um, I'll have also Marion's um, information for where you can follow her. I know I mentioned that at the beginning, but just to mention it again, where you guys can follow her and support her. So with that, it's like I say, in the end of every, um, podcast that I do remember everybody don't be worried don't allow the disinformation and the confusion going on in the earth right now to take you down always remember the best is yet to come god bless you guys and you have a great day <laughs>